0: Uh, music undoubtedly signals the return of the Gardening programme. Brings us
1: back, doesn't it?
0: It brings us back for it. Good morning to you Good and you're welcome your for Thank 2017. You I much. know you've been on with Tommy a little bit over the last week or two. With Jerry, uh, yeah. I was, was in with
1: Jerry two weeks ago. I we did, a, we did a, a little slot and we are talking about the positive, mild winter, the lovely kind of <laughs> dry. I was saying it, was, it has been the driest winter probably well, on it, record. It was. It was.
0: Yes, how as, and ever. As, I
1: know, I know. But it's, <laughs> it's been a great, uh, certainly autumn winter and early spring. Um, and we can see that even when I was driving up this morning, the amount of spring flowering plants that are in bloom. The camellias are full of flower mm. at the moment. The early flowering cherries are in bloom. Forsythiae, the nice yellow, uh, Forsythia is in bloom. And the daffodils, of course, have been flowering since Christmas. Um, you know, and in, in, in certainly the snowdrops have been extremely early this year. So it's been a very, very early uh spring it's still very mild i mean the temperatures are still quite mild you know the, the amount mm. of frost we're getting is 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 still very limited um, However, the rain is back it um, is, uh, but look at it, it is it's springtime uh, whether we like it or not the uh, nature is waking up and uh things are coming into growth and coming into bud and it's been a very good planting the winter um in terms of putting in plants Hedges and trees and shrubs. It has been great planting weather. For, so for those listeners that made use of the weather during the winter time, um, plants will be settling in very, very well, and uh, hopefully. Things that start to dry out a little bit now as we come into next week.
0: Okay, well I'm sure and the days are getting
1: longer. Yeah. I mean, you can well, see it already. Yeah, and
0: I have to be honest. I sat into the, the, the chair here this morning and looked out at around twenty past seven, and you know daylight was coming. You're getting it uh, at either so, end yeah, now, yeah. which so is it great. Is, and it does kind of lift you a small bit, even yeah. if it's a small bit damp uh, over this particular weekend. Um, and I know there's a bit of flooding on the roads and in different spots, and maybe people looking at, at their gardens uh, are going. Oh goodness. Uh, well,
1: look, at it, It's just to stay off the. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're not going to be mowing the lawn on this weekend you're not going to be out in the garden digging or doing anything in particular but certain jobs certainly like pruning back of plants and you know and tidying up the garden in general can be still done the one thing at this time of year that the homes are still very warm so the temperatures we're still putting on the the central heating so there's great high temperatures Hmm. indoors and with the bright the long uh, day length now it's ideal time of year for the sowing of seed indoor using the temperature. So if you want to sow some summer flowering bedding, say marigolds or geraniums or sweet peas, all those summer flowering plants, they can be sown indoors now on a windowsill. So a simple pot or tray. Children, for example, could grow sunflowers at this time of year. A small pot, fill it with compost, have it reasonably moist, pop in the seed, a little bit of cling film over the top, sit it on the windowsill and they'll germinate within 10 to 14 days and start to grow. And you can plant them out then later on in late spring or early summer. So we can use the temperatures indoors to actually start a lot of both vegetable plants, tomatoes, onions, Mm -hmm. can all be sown from seed indoors now, as can be a whole range of summer flowering plants. And also bulbs. We tend to associate bulbs with springtime, with daffodils and tulips and hyacinths. But of course, there are a whole range of summer flowering bulbs like dahlias, which give a fantastic show of colour from June right through until... I was going to say Christmas, but they nearly flower up till Christmas. Certainly this year they did with the mild autumn. But dahlias will flower well into October up to the first heavy night of frost. And there's some great varieties available. There's a, a lovely one, um, There's a lovely one called uh, Linda's Pink, which is a a double pink flowering variety. It's a lovely one for cut flowers, if you want to. Okay, so
0: of dahlias. Of dahlias, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's
1: it's quite a nice one, particularly for listeners that might be decorating churches or want to decorate the home or want to have have a special occasion, a wedding or something coming on in the summertime, they want some cut flowers. That's a particularly nice variety. Linda's Pink. Linda's Pink is is particularly a good one and there's another nice one called Boom Boom which is easy to remember it's a red a blood red okay. it's a pom pom type so it has got a head similar like to the you know it's the large yeah. drumming uh, stick with yes. a big pom pom head that's a really nice one Boom Boom it's a it's a rich red easy to grow really nice color um And and a lovely one then for cutting as well. Um, Linda's Baby is another quite nice one. Again, it's a a double pink, um, which is, you know, again, really good for cutting. Um, And there's a whole range of different colours. Yellows, whites, uh, purples. There's some nice uh, single flowering varieties as well. One called Pretty Woman.
0: It's an easy one to remember. (laughs) That's a
1: very good one for bees. Because it's a single flowering variety of dahlia. It's short in height. It only grows about 12 inches in height. And um, it's got beautiful single pink flowers. So that's one called Pretty Woman. Small pink flowers, hundreds of flowers are produced on the plant during the summer. And um, particularly good for bees because it actually sets pollen and will attract the bees in. Um, so there's a whole range of, of summer flowering bulbs. They're just the dahlias. I mean, you've got plants like the begonias, which again, you can start indoors at this time of year. Um, gladioli, which are those long-stemmed. Yes. They come in dwarf varieties as well, which will only grow, you know, 18 inches to two feet. Um, things like agapanthus, arum lilies, all of those. Many can be actually planted out of doors, put them into pots leave them out of doors to grow on. Um, certainly the frost hardy ones like gladioli, like aram lily, like the scented lily, the stargazer lilies can be planted out of doors. Agapanthus. So they can be put in pots and left out of doors and they're perfectly okay, even if we get a little bit of frost. Right. The tender ones are the ones like dahlias, begonias, they need to be kept indoors in a bright windowsill, a greenhouse, a tunnel a conservatory, and let them grow on there for a couple of weeks and plant them out then in early summer right. so we're, we're, at this time of year we're really thinking about summer colour um, all the summer bedding from seed, all the summer bulbs from seed, from, bu- from the actual bulbs, you'll, you'll get them in your <laughs> local garden centres now, it's also the time of year to think of the veg garden Yes, and uh, seed potatoes in particular this is the time of year, we chit them, we actually sprout them, put them into trays or containers, again, leave them on a bright windowsill in a garage or in the greenhouse, somewhere bright but frost-free, and let the buds initiate, so let the buds start to grow. So the point I'm making, I suppose, even though the weather is, is a little bit difficult to get outside, mm. there's lots of things you can be doing that right. we tend to forget, we tend to leave on the long finger, and we, we, we you know, we, we come around in April when the weather's fine and and, and sometimes we've missed the boat. And say
0: oh, I wish I did that and yeah. I'm guilty of that myself because I did mean to sow some daffodil bulbs uh, in the autumn and now I am saying oh, you never did that why didn't you do it yeah. and I'm looking at some lovely daffodils and stuff coming up.
1: And, and they're beautiful this yeah. year and I left my, my own driveway I had to actually stop at the driveway today to open the gates and I was admiring I have a dwarf daffodil called Jetfire in flower and it's all the way up the driveway hmm. it's actually growing in gravel believe it or not. Yeah, so That's how easy it is It's pretty to hardy grow. then. Yeah it's literally growing in the gravel driveway and it's there for many years mm. now and, and it's an absolute picture, even the damp miserable day, it would lift Lived. your heart just to see the amount of colour um, but you're dead right, we often think about daffodils when they're in bloom, yeah. but the time to plant is of course in the autumn, yeah. so this time of year it's time to plant the seed of many plants, it's also a cheap time of year to raise plants from seed and bulbs, um, but with, with the view to adding colour then later on in the, in in the, the summer. summer. Great. I was in your country on Monday so,
0: so I heard uh, <laughs>
1: after Mayo beating Roscommon I was unsure oh, should I show yeah, my face well in, in... you know
0: we kind of we're, we're kind of used to that maybe at stage so I, was up with the I don't w- know if I should be saying that out loud um, yes I, I, can I say good morning to Alec and Helen this morning because I was informed on Tuesday evening Porik, that you were in uh, my town as the fellow says on Monday <laughs> evening uh, the Roscommon Garden Club I, I was hosted, with the Roscommon yeah. Garden
1: Club in the Abbey Hotel We'd my absence
0: sent... was noticed. it
1: was I noticed it definitely and uh, but we had a great evening there. I mean, they have a fantastic club, a very, very active yeah. club. And they were telling me there have lots of um, various events, trips planned um, all over the country this year. Um, so they're certainly a very, very active group. But we were talking in particular about garden design. yeah. And I was talking to them about this, you know, the concept of this function over form. And it's interesting. I see Dermot Brannan, the architect, he's bringing that into the into the whole into the,
0: the, the house house design. Yeah, down, and, yeah.
1: and function over form is that concept of using the garden for enjoyment for physical space that physical space making it nearly part of your lifestyle so using it for for you know living outdoors I suppose and okay a day like today can be difficult to do that but we were looking at kind of covered structures we we're looking at lighting out of doors outdoor cooking facilities and um, music outdoors those sort of I suppose that are non garden related but they are related to the garden and, and and in the way that you actually enjoy your garden so we spent a, a good bit of time on that but I asked the start of the talk I asked the question what was the topic they'd like me to speak about? Because okay, I had was, it all planned What was the answer? What would you think?
0: Moss <laughs> Yes <laughs> <laughs> that There's was the no one getting away from no, there slag me as bit that we talk about Moss all too much. the time but We're it is driven by the questions we do want absolutely. to ask absolutely and, yeah.
1: and that was the, the hand <laughs> went up at the back and somebody <laughs> said could you talk about moss <laughs> <laughs> please well, so uh, i thought All, I, had all
0: I, I think it went down very well borg because i happened to be uh, at the uh, the opening night of the and drama festival last night and i was kind of earwicking a small bit um and there was a discussion going on about it uh, on in the front row so um i think all told you, you you kind of went down fairly well. Oh, uh, yeah, we yeah, we lots got, of good questions we got off the
1: mosque question and we got back onto garden design and other lots of Sorry, hits, hints just, and tips.
0: We're simple folk in Roscommon.
1: So, look at it. Thanks a million to the, to the team there for inviting me up, and I certainly enjoyed it. The other thing I just want to remind listeners about, George, uh, this is the time of year as we come into early spring where our garden birds are beginning, our native songbirds are beginning to nest. And for people that have been feeding them over the winter period, even though it's been a very mild Mm -hmm. winter, it's important to feed them because you're attracting a huge amount of uh, different type of birds, the goldfinches, the blue tits, the sparrows, into your garden for the winter period. It's helping them when you feed them with with, um, wild bird feed or the seed or niger seed. First of all, if you use a mixture of different seed, you get a great variety of birds coming in. That's the first thing. The second thing, most of those... um, nuts and, and, and wild bird seed are full of protein. So it helps to build the birds up, in particular before the breeding season, what? which is normally starts in March, April sort of period. So the ber- birds are beginning to nest now. So my advice is put out a couple of feeders. Your kids will thoroughly enjoy it. Just have a small little feeding area, half a dozen feeders with a mixture of different types of, of um, nuts and wild bird feed mm. will bring a huge amount of birds into the garden. You can also use, if you have any fruit left over damaged fruit in particular from the garden um, that's that can be cut up st- stuck onto trees and the birds will come and feed on it at this time of year or even if you have the likes of coconuts if they're cut, cut in, in half, in half yeah. hung upside down, they'll come and they'll actually feed on the on the on um, f- the, f- the white flesh, which again is high in protein, protein. Okay. and it's brilliant for building okay, wild right. birds up. And
0: will kind of just pick away and pick, away and pick away Absolutely.
1: Anything like that, sunflower seeds are yeah. brilliant. The black fl- sunflower seeds are brilliant for birds this time of year. So you get the whole fun aspect of, of getting the children involved and getting the birds visiting your garden yeah. and then put up a couple of nesting boxes or if you haven't got a nesting box or if you have some nesting boxes clean them out this time of year. Now do check that the birds aren't haven't started to build because they're starting early this year. But if you've got old nesting boxes, this is the time to to clean them out? Or it's a great time to put one up. And if you want a really good one, the one I use in the garden is one made by Petface. Right. And it's actually, it's a multi-nesting box. So it actually comes with four different rings, which makes the hole bigger or smaller in terms of the nesting box. Because birds like wrens, like a very tight, small entry hole into the nesting box. Others, the larger birds, say like robins, need a, a fully open um nesting box. So that's a, a very handy one. If you're a beginner uh bird uh, watcher. What's it called again? It's called the pet face multi nesting box. And it's a simple timber box, but the ring the opening, opening yeah. can be reduced or increased. So you by, you,
0: you you it comes uh, with it. Okay, so you decide how big you want
1: it. Yeah, yeah. It, com- right. the, it comes with these little insertion rings that makes the hole bigger so depending on the birds that are around, visiting the garden, if yeah, yeah. they're robins you leave it Wide open. Okay. But it's a handy way. Put them somewhere ideally north east facing, so they're out of uh, any morning sun. Right. And keep them away from the feeding. If you're feeding birds in a particular area, keep them. You know, maybe twenty yards away. Get on a wall oh, or so in the tree. Should be away from it the should. feeding area. It should. It should because birds will will start, if they're nesting, yeah. they'll be very protective, protective of that area enough, of course, and yeah, and yeah and you get the battles going okay. on. So, But, you know, within the normal standard small town garden, you yeah. can have three or four nesting boxes and, you know, a couple of feeding units yeah. as well. And keep the feeding units close to the house because the birds are very brave. and come like right.
0: They're, oh, they are. Yeah. And, uh, I, 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 we, My mum has, a, I think, about 12 of these feeders up because uh, wow, I, I, I was there for a few days recently and there was a lot of uh, filling of feeders to be done. Yeah. But um, it's she absolutely loves to watch the birds and there is a great mix and there is um, I suppose the more traditional kinds so I say the robins and the wrens yeah. and then there's l- massive amount of finches and gold finches and, and all that. There's a great bit of colour and real activity going ah, on. Yeah. And you kind it's of, great to see you it. You kind of would sit there watching them you, for half an hour the, very that's, easily. That's the whole idea. Very therapeutic. Yeah
1: and particularly for children if you get them involved mm-hmm. they'll the ones that'll go out and actually mm. refill the units because yeah. and you, you only need to feed them up once a week type yeah. of thing and, and it keeps them going so I would encourage people to feed the birds but also think about this time of year in terms of nesting, nesting. And providing, cleaning out old, old um, nesting boxes, but maybe putting up a couple of nesting boxes as well.
0: Okay, and that's a good tip about keeping things a little bit separated. And of course, it makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. Now, Porek, I know we mentioned uh, that four-letter word, but we're going to touch on it first of all briefly. Uh, it control. is that recurring problem of moss. Um, people have been lawn using moss. zero and other items. Yeah, so we'll talk about lawn moss Briefly, for a start, to start out, um, and I suppose this is a sample of the questions coming in in relation to it. I put zero on the lawn weeks ago. How long before I feed the lawn? Uh, there is a lot of moss in lawns. Is, yeah. uh, so where does one start? What does one do?
1: Well, you know, it's the same. Look at the. You you get out there and you you treat it now with. Um The zero is quite good. It's a liquid. You mix it in water. Mm -hmm. You simply put it on. It'll kill the moss overnight. Generally speaking, you start to feed the lawns um, from about the middle of March onwards. So, um, you know, leave it for about another week or so. I the next dry day, really uh, get out and mow the lawn. That's the first thing I would do. I've you know I've cut my own lawns probably twice now since Christmas. So that's the first job, I suppose, in the in the gardening season to get out whenever the weather dries up and the Mm -hmm. the, um, conditions dry up raise the, the lawnmower to a reasonably high level, put on the grass box and take off that first cut and do that for the first couple of weeks. And that helps to fill out the grass. It helps to get it, make it stronger again. Eliminate the moss and you do that. The next dry day, you just get put on the zero. That'll kill it off very quickly. And the feeding then starts around the middle of March. So. You know, the next kind of eight, 10 to 12 days you can put, again, if the weather picks up and it's, and the grass is beginning to grow, that's mm-hmm. the time to get the feed on. Make sure you put on a slow release feed. So something like the Osmo is very good. It f- greens the lawn without forcing growth. And that's really what you want. And re- in terms of reseeding, if there's any bare patches, then put on a little bit of lawn seed or Patch Magic or one of those and they'll fill up the area. And yeah. that should be your lawn then. Moss-free, nice and green, in good condition and ready for the season. Okay. Um so so look get put put on the lawn treatment um the, the moss treatment anytime from... You can do it any time over yeah. the next six weeks or eight weeks. OK. So but get on top of it.
0: Cut, wait for the dry day, yeah. cut the lawn, treat, treat the moss. And then... And then uh, give it a feed give it about a feed. the middle of March. And fill, and fill up the patches.
1: Any patch that are there, just reseed them and the lawn is back in so good condition. So it's kind good of good a couple
0: Ian. of steps really over a number of weeks. Yeah. So you just need yeah. to yeah. And have plan have out for you could next have done year this. to do it. I suppose that's the thing. Sometimes we start these tasks and we only see the first part or the second part too. Yeah. But I suppose really the message is Make sure you do all the steps because that's really what will deliver a nice. Absolutely,
1: absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And moss is just one of these things that you've got to you've got to keep treating, keep on top of. It. it, I made the point at the at the Roscommon talk that you know you you should be treating it during the winter months Mm. as well because that's when moss starts to grow. It starts to grow in in November, early December, and it spreads through. So at this time of year, we're looking at the worst. You know, it's gone through the whole growing cycle. The worst effects are there at the moment and it's very present, um, uh, you know, and very visible. So people are worried about getting rid of it. So treat it, cut the lawn, treat it, feed it, and your lawn is back in good condition.
0: Okay, and after that, keep an eye on it. That's the other keep, thing. Keep, yeah, well, that's yeah, it. You need it to treat it. it. You, you need have to it. manage and maintain do, it all the You do, you do.
1: There's no such thing as a moss-free yes. lawn. Yeah. It just won't, you it, know, you'll always get it uh, tired of it. Okay.
0: Um, now, laurel hedging. Mm-hmm. Uh, listener has a laurel hedge that was sown last September. So they're wondering, what would be the best feed for chicken manure or sea mungus? They're in Glenamaddy.
1: Well, chicken manure and sea mungus are, are um, used generally when planting. yes. Right so I would use more a traditional tree and shrub fertilizer but again it's it's a little early yet for feeding plants um you know we're- leave again till St. Patrick's Day is a good kind of, you know, mid, uh, the growth hasn't, hasn't just started yet. It's beginning, but you don't want to put it on too early because you're just driving the plants on. So St. Patrick's Day in mid-March is a good time to put your first feed on. You can use just a proprietary tree and shrub feed. Again, Osmo do one um, and granulated feed, shake it around the base of the laurel, keep it out from the main stem about six inches. Okay. The other thing I would mm-hmm. do with young laurel that have been freshly planted is to trim the tops of them. So if you didn't trim the tops when you were planting, get out there and trim off four to six inches. And you could do that over this weekend. Uh, Just go out, nip the tips, tops of them, any side branches, trim those back as well. And the idea of doing that in combination with feeding them in March is that you get the plants to fill out, become very thick and nice and full from the base, as you know.
0: Yes, as I know, and I can I can concur with all of that. It does definitely it, make the difference.
1: Well, it does because yeah. people tend to put in hedges and leave them, yeah. and because they want them to grow quickly, but they're not getting the bulk and the fullness in the plant. So it's very important just to trim the tops and sides of the plant. And this is a good time of year to do that, and then follow up with your feed in March, and maybe refeed again in in May, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, particularly that's if enough. you're
0: looking for your laurel hedge to be a nice kind of wall type structure, exactly. which I think a lot, which a lot of people, I think, you know, that is the purpose of of, of planting them in. The first instance, so the trimming back while it might appear that you're, uh, you know, yeah, you're, you're stepping you're back, stepping nearly, back yeah. you actually aren't no, at all. It is, you're really making them thick and <laughs> bushy, yeah. yeah it and I really stand to it.
1: Ideally, hedges in, in uh, things like laurels and holly should be wedge shaped, slightly wider at the base going, going up. up, so you know, maybe three feet wide at the base and two feet wide on top. That sort of um, wedge shape is the ideal shape for an, for a hedge.
0: Now, what early new potatoes are suitable for planting in plastic tubs in my tunnel? I'd like new potatoes for June, please.
1: Well, any of the early varieties you could start to chip now, like like I said at the start of the program, which means just sprouting them. So put them, get a couple of of um, certified seed potatoes. So varieties like Orla Colleen, Sharp's Express, Red Duke of York is a lovely variety. It's a it's it's voted the number one. Um, potato, early new potato in, 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 in research that I've been reading any anyway of the last number of years. So Red Duke of York. It's a lovely variety. Red skinned on the outside, kind of a whitish, yellowish flesh inside. Mm-hmm. Plant it now, in particularly in a tunnel and greenhouse, and you'll have them from the middle of June, definitely. If you want one that's very compact, there's a variety called Foremost, <clears throat> which again is a first early variety. You plant it now, you, you, you sprout it now, you plant it then maybe in two weeks' time in Ordinary compost in a, in pots or containers in the tunnel or greenhouse and foremost produces very short stems. So it's mm-hmm. perfect in pots. It doesn't get lanky and fall over. So that's quite a good variety. But, but to be honest, Orla Colleen, Duke of York, okay. Sharps Express is another really good one. Red Duke of York is excellent. Um, you know, they'd be Home Guard is another good one. Um, any of those are foremost. This will, is the time of year ready to start them.
0: Okay. Now I know you mentioned uh, bulbs there at the start of the programme. A listener has gladioli bulbs and they're wondering can they plant them out in the garden now, or should they plant them in the house yeah, it's first?
1: Yeah, it's a bit wet at the moment for planting them out, but gladioli are frost hardy, so. Um, you could have, for example, planted them three weeks ago uh, when the ground was a little bit drier. So it's a bit wet at the moment. Maybe if you're anxious to plant them, put them into pots or trays of compost or any container that hold compost that's free draining. You can leave them outside or if you have a greenhouse or tunnel, put them in there <laughs> and with a view to planting them out then once things dry up. Or you can just hold the bulbs that store for another two or three weeks and then plant them out in the middle of March um but gladiola depending on the variety some of them are quite tall we'll, they'll grow up to four or five feet in height yeah long stemmed and um, plant them in, in clusters a bit like the daffodils so put them maybe two inches apart about two to three inches deep into the soil and pick a bright sunny location they'll come into flower in july for you and they make fantastic cut flowers really long stems very colorful
0: perfect okay uh now we've got a question on sorry i've just gone to the bottom here um a question on uh, yes, bees. bees. So, could we encourage? <clears throat> this is Cathy Good morning to you, and thanks indeed for this. Uh, could we encourage all the busy gardeners to get buzzier <laughs> and plant flowers and herbs this year to have really bee-friendly gardens? They're in decline, and we all need to help the bees. Uh, it would be great to see if uh, we could kind of increase the population, or at least do do something to kind of benefit them. Yeah. So, what? What? How can we assist with that in terms of planting? Okay.
1: Well, well, there's a couple of principles when you're looking for. The, the flowers uh, so bees, why do bees come to flowers mm. in the first place? They come from the food which is pollen, and they come for the drink which is nectar. So they collect the pollen from the flowers and they, and they suck the actual nectar from the um, from the flowers and they bring that back to the hive. that f- basically forms what what honey is made from. Um, so bees look for plants that are produce high amounts of nectar and pollen. So typically single flowering flowers, like the dahlia I mentioned, yes. that single flowering d- dahlia, Pretty Woman, that's a particularly good variety because it produces lots of pollen and it produces nectar as well. Mm. Um, now, there's a whole range of plants that that provide nectar and pollen from early spring right through until autumn. So plants like Cotoneaster are brilliant. bodlias are, are brilliant for producing um both nectar and, and pollen, Facilia, uh, the green manure, which I, I've mentioned many yes. times for bees. So pop into your local garden centre. There's loads of bee-friendly, there's actually bee-friendly collections put together. So the seed producers, Sutton's will have put together a collection of maybe seven or eight varieties that will give you flower from early spring right through till autumn, but that are specifically designed for attracting bees into the, into your garden. There's lots of trees and shrubs as well that are perfect for attracting bees. I actually have a list. I have a, a list. Um, I have a list, bee-friendly plant yes. list. So if people, what's the best way? I suppose if they send me an email yeah. to, what's our email? Garden at... Garden at midwestradio.ie. So garden at midwestradio.ie. If you send an email there, I'll send you back a list of trees and shrubs and a whole list of flowering plants that are bee-friendly. And they'll flower from literally January to December. So I have a whole range, I have a whole collection of of, um, different varieties. And many of them you see, because the bees are coming to the flowers, many of the flowers then produce berries. So plants like pyracantha flower in April and May, Mm -hmm. white flowers, same with cotoneaster. The bees visit the flowers, take the pollen and nectar, but pollinate the flowers and you get the lovely berries then in the autumn. So attracting bees to your garden, particularly for burying plants, it's a great way to increase the amount of berries that are going to be produced. Um, So... But it's right? good to get, get them, them into the garden. garden, and, and the listener is right. Honeybees in general are declining mm. all over the world due, due to various diseases mm. and pesticides and habitat and
0: other lots oh, of other, other so, factors. Yeah. Yeah. And you
1: also have the uh, many of the bumblebees that will. Uh, there's a lot. A lot of the bumblebees tend to live solitary or in small clusters, right. unlike the, the other, honeybee, which okay. can have fifty or sixty thousand in a hive. So the bumblebees will visit the flowers as well. So you're not. You're, you're providing for for bumblebees hoverflies uh honeybees butterflies when you grow bee friendly plants. Okay
0: so the, the bumblebees really are pollinators not they are. yeah not, but they're not they're not honey producers as such.
1: Well they produce a small amount of honey to right. feed their young but they they're not honeybees as That's we know it, yeah. where you know the the typical honeybee, honeybee i suppose has been has been um domesticated to produce natural honey for us in, yeah. in, or honey for us in terms of um, you know we, we put the the, the hives yeah. together that It's kind them. of
0: like bee farming really I suppose In, yeah.
1: in a very it's friendly a, way In a
0: friendly way <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not using the right terminology <laughs>
1: But I suppose the point I'm making is that yeah. you, if you have bee friendly plants in the garden you're attracting a whole range of different beneficial insects for example hoverflies they feed not only on the flowers but they'll also hoover up your aphids and green fly and black fly so attracting Uh, hoverflies to your garden they drink off the nectar rich flowers. They in turn will start to help you with your roses and, and so on. Right, so I hope that all makes sense. It does, it does there yeah, for a yeah. bit. No, no, not mm. But remember, it's I have good, I have two it, it, great lists. Yeah,
0: and it is of huge interest to people. I think absolutely. So if you have uh, an interest uh, in I suppose, promoting bee culture in general, and yeah. that you want to try and aid uh, I suppose their longevity, then do send us the email to gardenatmidwestradio.ie, and we'll I'll get, send, we'll send I'll that send that people out. on. Yeah. yeah,
1: over the weekend I'll send them on that information. Oh. Um, and it's not that when you enc- when you encourage bees into the garden. It's not that it's going to be swarms of bees or there's going to be a problem with stinging or anything like that. It's actually a very beneficial thing to do.
0: I do you know the gist of it, of pork was that you mentioned uh, onions. Uh, I think when you were on with Jerry a couple of weeks I ago, did. Um, a particular seed where the onion is a very full onion. And could I you, remember it. Could you reiterate <laughs> that information, please?
1: <laughs> okay, well this this was actually brought to me by a neighbour of mine, right. Benny, Benny Gibbons. Uh, oh,
0: I remember we Benny, talked about yeah, this. Thing, Benny, yeah, yeah. yeah did Benny it, have it in the, one of the agricultural ben, shows
1: one year. No? Well, he he grows it every year. He yeah. he was chatting to me uh, three or four years ago. He was showing me the onions. They were literally about the size of a big saucer they were huge um, and he got the seed the seed is a variety called Bedford Shire Champion a, a bit right. of a mouthful it is, but. Bedford Shire Champion um, it's actually over 100 years old this particular variety and and that I suppose it's longevity stands to it in terms of, of um, you know it's a very popular variety particularly in the UK because they they like to show it and exhibit it um, but it's a beautiful onion in terms of flavour it's mild in flavour it produces really large onions and you sow it from seed at this time of year indoors. So you start the seed off indoors in a bit of compost with a little bit of cling film over the top. The idea of the cling film is to stop you having to water them. So you simply get a bit of cling film over the top of the pot and leave that on until they germinate. And when you see them germinating, you just peel it off. And then you transplant those Bedfordshire Champion seedlings out in the garden about the middle of March, end of March, early April. Right. They grow during the summer. They produce these enormous size uh, onions that are fantastic flavour-wise, lovely and mild, but they store extremely well. So you're actually still using them at this time of year, uh, the following spring. Um, so that's a really good one, Bedford Chard champ- Champion. There's another one called Alce Crag, which again is is quite good. Alce Crag, it's an old variety as nice. well. Um, they're both from Seed. If you want one from Bulbs, there's a nice white... Onion, pure white onion called snowball,
0: which can be quite sweet. Are they kind of yeah? They're mild in flavour.
1: They are. There's a nice kind of sweet flavour. You can pickle them.
0: Yeah, okay. Pickle
1: them if you want in in vinegar Mm -hmm. and store them that way. But they can be used as well, you know, as uh, and something different because the flesh is is snow white. So it's called snowball. They're available in bulbs at the moment. and that's another good variety that stores well. So the three I'd recommend certainly Bedford Champion, Champion is, is probably top of the list.
0: Alsay uh, Crag. Alsay
1: Craig. and one called Snowball, which is available in bulbs at the moment. Okay. The other two are from seed, you sow them inside, you transplant them later out, kinda of four or five weeks from now. Right, and you've got super onions and all summer.
0: Now, we've got a listener with a flowering crab tree coming into bud. There's moss and algae removed last year, but the timber is green. How would you remove this?
1: Well, again, that just, uh, that's a little bit of algae on the stems. Um, the listener can use the product they used previously. So you can use something like zero, actually, that will, will eliminate the uh, moss off the uh, tree. What I do with a lot of the trees, particularly the trees like um, Himalayan birch, the white mm-hmm. birch, if they're getting a bit mossy or a bit green, I put the power hose on them.
0: Mm. Okay, very good.
1: And the power hose just so washes, it washes them away. down, cleans so it's them. Just really
0: a bit of a wash they need as such. Yeah,
1: and it, and it actually um, exfoliates. Is that the word we yes. use? Exfoliates yeah. the bark. So you, it peels the bark, and gives you a lovely white finish. Um, to the bark, so particularly with the Hilem, Himalayan birch, if you've got moss in it, that's a great way just to clean it up and tidy it up. Other u- otherwise, use the products you used before uh, to get rid of the algae and that clean them up.
0: Now, roses need pruning, but lots of new red shoots on the tall stems. Uh, the trump of uh, trumpeter roses, okay. roses rather. Red and rose, how and yeah. when do we prune these? Okay,
1: well, the pruning of roses again, you could do it this weekend mm-hmm. if you if fancy getting out of doors. And uh, there's no digging or, or messing around involved. You're literally just cutting back the rose and uh, varieties like trumpeter and bush roses in general they should be cut back within six inches of ground level um, so I, I showed a great slide on the on the talk on monday night um of the roses in the nursery and they were pruned back to within two or three inches so the the, the um really severe pruning back so my advice really is to cut them back to within six inches of ground level right. remove any dead wood that might be there mm tidy up the rose bush give it a feed now this time of year and feed it again once a month from now on so listeners are often put off by, by when they see the new growth starting on roses mm. and the fear that they've left so it too late again
0: it's a bit like the hedging it situation is. so yeah. just
1: trim them back now tidy them up give them a feed and on, they're out they're ready for this year
0: now, I've three tall, overgrown apple trees on big rootstocks. Okay. I want to restore them to production and bring the fruit within easy reach. What's the pre- proper method of pruning them?
1: Well, what they mean by rootstocks, by big rootstock, is that apples are grafted so that the trunk of the tree and the roots of the tree are two different varieties of apple. And if you've got a vigorous rootstock, it makes the, plant, the tree grow vigorously and it will, the tree will always remain in, you know, a pretty vigorous habit uh, because the roots are driving that energy on. What you do in terms of older trees, if you want to bring them back to fruiting and rejuvenate them, is to take out one third of the wood that's present. So in year one, this year, and you're not too late to prune them. So if you can go out over the next couple of days and prune them back, take out any dead wood that's in the tree, take out any crossing branches, Mm -hmm. anything that's got canker or visible disease on the, on the stems, prune those out and try to take it selectively. Don't take it all from one side or the tree will be lopsided. Right. So yeah. selectively take it out one third of the timber. Shorten back any long growth, so any kind of whippy growth, shorten that back by two thirds. Mm-hmm. And you could treat the tree to a winter wash, which will remove any pests off the, the tree. Okay. And that's all you do for this year. The second year, you remove another third. And the final year, in year three, you've removed the last of the old timber. And that will help to encourage the tree to produce lots of new growth. And on that growth, it'll fruit sure. over the next couple of years. Okay. So it's a matter of renewing the tree, I suppose, over a three-year period.
0: Now, after the storm last week, I lost two garden trees. I'd okay. say this has probably happened to quite a few people. Uh, is it possible to get mature trees to fill the space, uh, something like a cherry or a maple?
1: It it is, of course, yeah. Mature trees are available. I mean, on the nurseries, you know, we grow them up to six feet or up to 10 feet or up to 15 feet. So you can purchase a, as we call it, a semi-mature tree. So an eight or nine or 10-year-old tree. Uh, It's been specially grown in the ground. It's been lifted every couple of years to make sure it's got a nice root ball. And so if you need a strong tree to Mm -hmm. replace something that is falling over, then certainly they're available. And this is the time of year to put them in. So between now and kind of the middle of April is a good time to replace particularly mature trees.
0: And a similar one in relation to hedging plants, about just replacing mature hedging plants or adding them on to an existing hedge. Yeah, the same thing this applies. This
1: is the time of year and they're available right up to seven, eight feet in height. So if you need an instant hedge or to an extent hedge or to replace things that have died or whatever. Um, I actually drove to, I was on TV3 that yeah. morning of the storm. Okay. So I left the house at half four in the morning and I'm, I'm, I nearly crashed three or four times with the amount of trees that they were, were down, down in front yeah. of me. But each one of them were clad
0: in ivy. And I remember you, thought we talked about this before a year or two ago. And actually I was thinking about that because I was also on the road a bit that week, that day. And uh, you, yeah, you, there was very large branches and uh, a lot of, you know, bigger debris that was, was. very dangerous. Yeah, and not. a lot of
1: ivy. And ivy acts like a sail. It catches the wind because the trees are still deciduous. Mm. There's, there's no leaf there to catch them at the moment. So where they're clad in ivy, you can get this... Um, you know, particularly if, there, if there's any vulnerable branches, they'll, they'll break with the ivy. So it is something to keep an eye on boundary, particularly along roadways and property where you've got heavy ivy. It's a good time of year to cut that ivy at ground level and kill it off from damaging the tree. Okay. You know I'm not saying every tree that no, yes, because I, I ivy is yeah. great to encourage nesting birds yeah. and all of that and, and and bees will feed on ivy flowers in the autumn so ivy is a very important plant to have but where you've got vulnerable trees with overhanging branches with heavy clad ivy this is a good time of year to cut the ivy roots right at 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 ground level right. treat them and kill them off um because The trees are falling anyway and getting damaged because of the waste of the ivy.
0: It just might make a difference, uh, particularly if it's near a roadway or something like that. Now, rhubarb, when and how to plant, please. Also, can we grow blueberries in a pot this summer?
1: Yes, you can. Blueberries do very well in pots. I think I told you (laughs) my story with, I was in Keelings in the fruit farm in Dublin a couple of years back and they grow all their blueberries in big tubs. The reason why, A, because they do very well in pots and containers, blueberries, as long as you get a good big pot. But also they like an acid-free soil, uh, an acid soil, a lime-free soil. So when you're potting them up into tubs and containers, use an ericaceous compost. So get something like grow-wise ericaceous compost. Through that, you can add an ericaceous feed, which is specifically for um, lime hating plants like blueberries and simply put them into a tub and a, a, a blueberry in a tub will last for many many years and because it's in a tub it tends to fruit heavier because it's a little bit more confined a little bit more restricted now you do need to water it well and you do need to feed it well during the summer months and get yourself a good uh, you know 40 litre kind of size pot, uh, half a dustbin size pot with good drainage. So ericaceous compost, plant up blueberries now and you'll have them for many years. Uh, What was the first part of that question? Uh, Rhubarb. Rhubarb, yes. So this is a great time to plant rhubarb. Rhubarb is nearly ready for picking. Varieties like Timberly Early um, is certainly within another week or ten days. I'll be enjoying my first <laughs> sticks of rhubarb because okay. it's nearly ready with the mild winter. Yeah. So that's a really good variety. One called Timberly Early, planted now, don't harvest it this year. Give it a year or two to develop itself, and then start to crop it. But it's very reliable every year. Another nice variety is one called Victoria which is a real old variety. It's a main main crop variety. So it's one we pick from April onwards. And there's another lovely sweet one called Red Champagne. Oh, yes. So it's got nice red stems, very sweet flavour. If you like sweet rhubarb, look for that one, Red Champagne. There's um, roots of it available at the moment now for planting. So a great time to plant. And for listeners that have rhubarb in the garden, give it a bit of a feed now. Force on some growth and you'll have Nice, fresh rhubarb in a couple of weeks' time.
0: Excellent. Now, somebody had sent us in a letter, which is not something we get very often. I know more more, more often than not, it's uh, from uh, the digital side of things that we get at our inquiries. But a listener in Claire Morris is wondering, when is the best time to repot my Christmas cactus? And also, are money trees available uh, oh, to yeah, buy? I don't know what the posh name for the money uh, tree it's is.
1: It's a lovely plant. The money tree is is um, it's a succulent. It grows like a small tree i suppose or shrub it's a really mm-hmm. it's rubbery in texture so it's a succulent. so it stores water and um, and produces a flower kind of a, a small white flower as it matures Gosh. but a really simple plant to grow if you want something that's kind of nearly foolproof that you can just forget about. Mm. Um, The money tree is quite a nice plant. The other plant they mentioned was the... Uh, the Christmas cactus. Can
0: we we repot it? Yeah,
1: this is a great time actually to repot it. Um, So don't move it into... So say it's in a 10-inch pot, move it up into maybe 11 or or 12-inch pot. Again, use a good quality compost. So I would use a John Ennis-based compost for this. So again... GrowWise do a very good one. Um, called John Ennis with added John Innes. So add, use that and then put your cacti out of doors about the first week of May. So once the risk of frost is passed, leave that cacti out somewhere, plunge it into the garden nearly and leave it there for the summer and let it weather over the summer and take it back in then in September to flower for Christmas again. Um, so yeah, great time to repot. Great time to repot houseplants in general. In general. So if you've got you know, rubber plants or fig trees or whatever, great time to actually repot them now, start them off again.
0: I have a red dogwood for a hedge and it's lost its red colour, says Joe. Can he put something back on it to bring the colour back?
1: The only thing Joe needs to do is to prune it within an inch of its life. Because this is cornice.
0: Be brutal, Joe.
1: Cornus um, or dogwood is, is the common name for it. It's grown for its lovely red stems, which we enjoy through the autumn, winter, early spring period. But before it comes into growth, if you cut it back hard each year, you're, you're taking off all the old wood, which, which starts, which when it's young, is red, but starts to go brown as it matures. So you're cutting that back and you're encouraging lots of fresh new growth on which... The branches will be beautiful and red again. So all Joe needs to go out is go out with a, a sharp secateurs or a loppers and cut it down to within three, four inches of soil level,
0: right. Right. or certainly
1: six inches or a foot from soil level. You know, be, but you can be brutal and go really, really hard back to soil level. Feed it, yeah. and within three or four weeks, it'll be back into new growth. By midsummer, it'll be back up two or three feet or four feet high, and you get a beautiful red stems. On the plant. Oh, so cornice or dogwoods need to be severely pruned nearly every year or certainly every second or third okay. year to rejuvenate the plant it makes it thicker, fuller but you get that brilliant red colour um, and again that was one I showed on the talk in Roscommon. We're home. talking about pruning in general it was yeah. a great example of what to prune at this time of year. So cornice you enjoy the, the, the stems in the winter spring but just as it's coming into growth you cut it hard and it rejuvenates the whole plant again.
0: Now, potted snowdrops and crocuses, I bought them about a month ago. They haven't flowered.
1: Well, they're not going to flower now if you've... you've, A month ago, well, the the snowdrops would have nearly been out of flower at that stage anyway. But um, look at if they're healthy and there's nice green leaves on them, plant them in the garden somewhere and they'll flower next year. So... You know, plant them out of doors, they'll grow on for another five or six weeks, the foliage will start to die back then, but the bulbs will be perfectly sound for for next year Remember that when you buy bulbs when you're buying a daftal in in September and October, when you're actually buying the physical bulb, it's a three or four year old plant that you're purchasing So if it's a young bulb, if it's only a year old or two year old, the flower embryo hasn't been formed in the actual bulb
0: Okay. So, so if you buy it, might need another year or two. Then
1: you buy a nice big fat daffodil in September. You cut it open with a sharp knife. Yeah. Inside the flower embryo has already been formed, so it's sitting there waiting for light and moisture to bring it into growth. But on younger bulbs, the flower embryo isn't there. Or as if you have daffodils that are very very old and they've become congested, mm. the bulbs shrink in size and the flower embryos aren't produced. So we often get a question, you know, I've got bulbs for Mm. years, they're in a big thick clump, they've stopped flowering. And that's just where the bulbs have run out of room. The bulbs have got smaller and smaller each year and the flower embryo has Has stopped forming. Yeah, Yeah. and the way to uh, kick them off again is to dig the clump up, split them into pieces and plant them elsewhere and let the the whole process start again. So with with this listener, there's nothing wrong with the the, um, plants except the bulbs were probably a bit small when they were potted up and have failed to flower. But plant them out of doors and they'll come into bloom uh, this time in January and February of next year. Okay.
0: And somebody else, I, I suppose, will stay with bulb flowers, spring flowering bulbs for a moment. Daffodils. Uh, so they have daffodils coming up, but there's only one head and an awful lot of greenery.
1: Well, the, the, the same applies. It depends on how old the bulbs mm. are. If they're old, established bulbs and they haven't been transplanted, um, then good. Idea. this is a great time of year, actually, for lifting we often talk about, um, you know, propagating daffodils and just as they're going out of flower, that's the time to lift them, transplant them, sp- break them apart and transplant them into other areas. So we move them in the green is the terminology. Nice. When the leaves are on the plant, is the time to dig them up and transplant them. So if they're old bulbs and they're failing to flower, they may just need to be moved. Remember that daffodils don't flower particularly well if it's heavy shade. If it's a dark shaded spot and um, they do grow under trees, but where you get conifers or heavy shade, they, they, f- they, they fail they, to they flower. they just
0: green. Yeah, and oh. I, I, I discovered that the hard way myself the first year I planted yeah. daffodils. They the yeah. need a bright... lots of green area, green, but no flowers. Yeah,
1: so shade can be a problem with them. Um, if they're in too heavy clusters, it can be a problem. Or if the bulbs are just too small or too young. And the other key thing is once they finish flowering, that you need to feed them to build them up for the following year. So again, we, the, the common question we get in April is when can I cut my daftils back? You've got to give them six weeks after flowering and feed them during that period to build them up for the following year. So it's all about building up that flower embryo.
0: Now, are patio roses and rocket seeds in stock at the moment?
1: Yeah, patio roses. It's a great time for planting roses, for the pruning of roses, but for the planting of roses as well. And rocket seed, that's Hesperus, the sweet rocket, um, I mentioned it. I think we we always talk about mm. it kind of in May when it's in flower. But this is the t- a very good time to to sow it from seed. So the botanical name is called Hesperus or sweet rocket. There's a beautiful sweet scent from the seed, and you can literally chuck the seed on the ground and off it goes. And, and off it goes. Yeah, That's and a fantastic you scent. In in you'll often see it in hedgerows and um, in gardens. And it comes in kind of white, shades of white and pinks. Lovely. So Hesperus or sweet rocket.
0: How does one stop seeds from growing tall and leggy, asks Steve.
1: Seedlings, is
0: it? Seeds, well it's seedlings. Oh yeah, yeah. seedlings. Well,
1: what you do is, first of all, when you're sowing the seed, like I mentioned, good quality compost, have it moist, cover it with cling film. And then once the seeds are about an inch high or half an inch high, take the cling film off, keep them in a very bright location and watch the watering. Don't have them too wet. The wetter the compost, the more leggy the uh, seedlings will go or if it's if the light level isn't high enough you tend to get leggy seedlings as, as well for most plants you can pinch them back so for example with sweet pea when they're about six inches high you take the top of the sweet pea out mm. to encourage branching um, and that would apply to most seedling plants um, you, you pinch them back now if it's something like tomatoes where you want to grow them tall you don't do that but for most flowering plants dahlias, marigolds um, sweet pea and so on you you pinch, when they're four or five inches high, pinch the tops out and that gets them to Once branch, to branch out. We also have available the little baby plants. Right. You know, the, oh, the, the little
0: plug plants. Little
1: plug plants. So these are plants like petunias and geraniums and whatever that have been sown from seed in January. They're now available. You can get them in little packs of twenties to pot on yourself. So if you want to skip the, this, the seeding yeah. part of it and move on to yeah, the next stage, well
0: looking, going, mm, is the or not? The yeah, easy th- part. Kind of there yeah, the yeah. easy
1: part. Though they're available in geraniums, petunias, okay. all of those. It's
0: we great. have to live there. I'm afraid. Time well, next weekend. Against so against us, yeah. remember,
1: garden at Midwest Radio. If people send me an email, I'll send them on the list of bee-friendly plants, and I'll send that out over the weekend.
0: Great. Uh, so we're up and running for 2017. We we're back in action next Saturday. Just looking after. 9 o'clock and I'm here from 7 o'clock onwards, Park, thanks a million Uh, Stand by Michael Neary coming your way next with the very best in Country Classics here on Midwest Radio, until next Saturday, good morning to you